was a gay. <laughs> Someone reached in and grabbed it. What You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with that, that giggling fellow who got the joke. Good on you, Dingus. That giggling fellow is Christian M- M- Milansky, I think. Christian Milansky. You can call me Jalapeno Dick. I hope that was coming. Good. I, I was hoping that would be it. Uh, and we also have with us Kelly Wand. Uh, who has for us a tagline, I hope, for the movie Apollo 18, which we have all seen this week. Kelly Wand, what is the Apollo 18 tagline? Uh, on the moon, Houston can hear you scream two seconds later. <laughs> Very good, Kelly Wand. Oh, wait, wait. Also, if it was a sequel to Apollo 13, like the same characters going back, like Tom Hanks, It's mm-hmm. if you thought not landing on the moon was a bummer... Uh, Okay, good. little inside Apollo humor. I got it. I like that. I didn't get your joke, by the way, your music. Well, that's kind of a spoiler. We'll get into it later. Uh, uh, So, let's see. We've seen Apollo 18. Maybe you haven't. We don't want to be presumptuous. Uh, As a matter of fact, we know for a fact a lot of you haven't because Apollo 18 was beat by both the help and the debt uh, this week. It came in third. However, it beat Shark Night 3D. By, by, by a mere three hundred thousand dollars, Shark Night 3D made eight point no no Shark Night 3D yeah 3D made like eight point four million. Apollo 18 this weekend on uh, more screens but without the 3D tax. Made fascinating. Eight point seven million. I'm actually you say fascinating, Kaywan, and you're being you're just being a jerk about it. But I care yeah, I because I've seen both of them. Shark Night 3D is terrible and it deserves to sink without a trace at the box office. Uh, regardless of what you think about Apollo 18, bless its heart, at least it's not mainstream horror. Shark Night 3D is just terrible, and I am so glad that this little indie film with no recognizable names and nobody even really knows what it is, I don't think, uh, that this beat Shark Night 3D. I do find that fascinating. Wait, it it beat it? Yeah, Shark Night 3D oh, okay. was, was, was pummeled into submission. Well, Wait, because uh, uh, it took a bite out of it. Huh. My spirits were crushed because I, I thought what you were saying was that because of 3D, Shark Knight won. That's the thing is not even with that 3D premium. Shark Knight actually ran on – now's the point where Kelly Wand can actually sort of intone fascinating, and, and I would agree with him. But Shark Knight 3D ran on fewer screens, I think, because it was a 3D movie. Oh, okay. Uh, and so therefore – but it also made a little extra money because there's that surcharge for 3D movies. So there's uh, some weird calculus going on behind the scenes that I, w- I think is is just real inside baseball kind of stuff that is kind of cool. Um, but uh, so no. So even though it was 3D, uh, Shark Knight 3D was beat by Apollo 18. And you're I, happy about that. I am. Well, well, the degree of my happiness is in question, but overall, yes, I am happy about that. I've seen both of them, and I can tell you whatever you think of Apollo 18, and I, I have a couple of guesses, Shark Knight 3D is worse. Really? <laughs> Come on. There's Who's no- there's nothing in Shark Knight 3D. In Shark Knight 3D, here's how bad Shark Knight 3D is. I was hoping the dog would die. I didn't even like the dog. Whoa. I know. I know. That's that's harsh. Were you hoping the shark would die? Because that's not cool either. It's not even a shark. It's just a whole bunch of generic sharks in the, the lake. Whatever. All I care about is that the margin of uh, beatage isn't based on 3D winning it. Uh, I don't know how you do the I, mathematics, but but <laughs> when Tom started that, that diatribe, I was worried that he was going to suggest that it won because of 
the 3D surcharge, right. and that was going to crush me. No, and I think and that's the thing is, even with its 3D surcharge, Shark Knight couldn't beat this little indie movie. Yeah. So so what is so a lot? So as I was saying, a lot of you have not seen Apollo 18. Maybe you don't want us to spoil it for you. Fair enough. Stand by. I doubt it. Dingus, why don't you give us a little synopsis that's spoiler free, you know, not too thorough, just a little spoiler free bite, a little bit of information. Get it. What is this Apollo 18 thing? Hmm. All right. Well, this week we saw Apollo 18, a 2011 American horror science fiction found footage movie (laughs) about a top secret mission to the moon. (laughs) I mean, Kelly, I almost went with documentary, so stop it. Uh, The film was directed by Gonzalo Lopez Gallegos and was written by Brian Miller and Corey Goodman. It stars Warren Christie, Lloyd Owen, and Ryan Robbins. The movie is rated PG-13 for Mm -hmm. some disturbing sequences Mm. Mm. and language, including the aforementioned jalapeno dip. (laughs) That's questionable and racist. Yeah, that'll get you a PG-13. Apollo (laughs) PG-13. Very good, Kelly Wand. Uh Uh-huh. Gotcha. Uh, all right, Dingus. So uh, thank you for that. Now, if Wait, you have it, John, he didn't say he was in it and all that. All the stuff he yeah, did. Uh, That's Owen, a good point. Uh, who is Owen in it? Christie. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, Owen. Astronaut Colonel Mustard. And see, the guys. reason Kelly Wan that you forgot already that he didn't that he said who was in it is you don't know who any of those people are. That's I'm just making stupid. That's another possibility. <laughs> that's one of the things. I, I think that's one of the things, though, that a found footage movie has to do. If you put a famous person in your found footage movie, you have missed the point of making your movie a found footage movie. Not if it's a fake movie about that guy, like Tom Cruise gets his head. You know, your problem is that it doesn't have somebody named Katie in it. If it had somebody <laughs> named Katie, you'd be fine. <laughs> or a Kelly, Kelly LeBrock. No, Brock. What's the one? If it's Katie Featherston, he's all in. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of all in, Kelly Wand, why don't we now go spoiler heavy, and why don't you tell us more specifically what happens in Apollo 18? One last, Katie, I just want to say one thing about Apollo 18. No kids equals... That's not true. That's not true, by the way. Oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. The kid actually figures rather prominently and in a very uh, as-expected way. Oh, oh! Awesome. I, lo- I love you, Kelly. <laughs> now, Kelly, rewind the tape and play that over and over again. No, that's creepy. <laughs> Creepier than anything else I saw. Gotcha. All right, Kelly, want give us your uh, Apollopsis 18? Apollo 18-sis. Okay. <laughs> Rock and roll. I'm kind of nervous because there's a sound cue I got to do exactly <laughs> so at one point. Not to spoil it, but I'm worried. I'm a little nervous. A lot to th- oh, also, <clears throat> oh, finally a movie that taps into man's universal fear of geology. <laughs> now think of the name of the song that opened the podcast. Private Idaho? Is that that song? <laughs> or is that Sex Shop? Uh, neither. But, uh... I'm too, forget it. It's... If I can't, if I don't get it from all that, I don't deserve to get it. Hey, come on, it's a, a, a B-52s. What's the most famous B-52s song, Kelly Wand? Uh, Sex Farm. Wait, that's Spinal Tap. What's the one? The Flipstick. Love Shack, baby. Yeah, Sex, Love Shack. No, Rome, sorry. 
Which one's Gwen Stefani in? What? That's Bush. Oh! Yeah. All right, Kelly Wan, give us your Apollo Op 18 sis. Oh, also, yeah. I read this book mm-hmm. that proves we staged the moon landing, mm-hmm. but we staged it from the sun. <laughs> so we're actually awesome. Thanks, America. All right. Uh, I know this is kind of a strange time to mention this, but I forgot to do a synopsis and didn't do one. So instead, I found some stuff in a dumpster outside NASA. It took me all night to climb back out. And uh, there was a note attached to the stuff. on the. It was like in a paper sack. <laughs> all, the setup's so complicated, I don't know how much more I can describe it, but it said that all the film footage to which the transcript that the note was attached to was somehow recovered from an explosion above the lunar surface in 1974 between a Russian moon lander and a space thing that we never see the outside of. And also there was some other footage recovered from a dark moon crater that we've never been to since. So we know it's real. So this is, it's just a transcript of like a guy, an astronaut on board Apollo 18. <clears throat> so I'll just read from it because it's not a recording. It's a transcript. Otherwise, I would act it out. <clears throat> Hi, my name's Matthew Fox. I'm like an astronaut and shit. <laughs> Stardate, uh, I think it's Thursday. Meh, scratch that. Space Diary, Chapter 1, out to launch. I'm Colonel Matthew Fox. Hi. Launch went fine this morning, although it was kind of weird since there were no reporters around, and the ones I did see were blindfolded and being shot, but it's the Cold War, so I'm not suspicious. Had a memo from the top brass today via that crazy new contraption that takes up 10 city blocks called a fax machine, saying not to tell our families that we're going to the moon today or to ever again use the term Apollo 18, but I guess it's not my place to ask questions. I'm a scientist. Well, actually, I'm a test pilot, which makes me perfectly suited to collect rock samples from the moon. Seems weird that that's top secret. And if it is top secret, why did they call it Apollo 18 like it was the 18th non-top secret Apollo flight instead of top secret flight one? But like I said, I'm not a scientist. And we have assloads of cameras for some reason. Shouldn't they have sent professional photographers? Ha ha, JK. But seriously, diary, if I could bring the Moonlander down for a second, even though it's only been a few hours since we all hung out at IHOP, I really miss my family, my son especially, not my wife so much. I love him and his precocious sense of wonder about my astonishing journeys to the cosmos in an effort to expand the encyclopedia of human knowledge about matters both. Hey, Dad, listen to this. (laughs) Did you hear it? Billy, what did I tell you? That's for your father's work. Hey, Mommy, who's that new guy who always comes around when Dad's gone? I thought you said he was a mattress salesman, but last time he was here, he told me he cleans your clock using his... (sighs) Yeah, that Billy Bob Jr. is a chip off the old block. Ah, well, enough about me. My tang's getting room temperature, BRB. And then that's the first entry. (laughs) Uh, It says, Co-Astrologer's Log, Day 50. Uh, I think it's night, although I see the sun, too. Kind of weird. We're making pretty good time, although not quite as good as the Jules Verne characters did in 1870. So much for steampunk, huh, cassette recorder? I'm 68 days into Around the World in 80 Days, and I have no idea how it ends. 
Also, also, I know this is an unusual thing to say for an American military person yet, but I'm a little unclear on what our mission is. I mean, they gave us cameras and a flag and some spider repellent and had us sign these waivers that exempt the military from having to financially compensate our families only in the event spiders kill us or rocks that turn into spiders at random moments. Obviously, there are no spiders on the moon, or at least one of the previous 17 Apollo missions might have mentioned it. So Larry and I laughingly signed in blood. Yikes, our third roommate, Sparky Joe, just shot our command module off his booster jet towards the moon, so I guess we're not going to Mars. Larry punked me again. That lovable scoundrel waves fist. Entry three, night zero. Whispering, just wanted to document that Larry said he never wets his bed. Ah, Larry, not in my face. Pillow fight. Entry 4, day 862. Hmm, even though in reality it's actually hot on the moon's surface, Larry and Mission Control keep making jokes about catching cold and wearing galoshes. I've also noticed some strange, probably supernormal, maybe even paranatural anomalies, like how sometimes the lunar gravity's low when we float around in slow-mo, but sometimes we run real fast like the Blair Witch is chasing us. Also, when we communicate with Earth, there's supposed to be a two-second delay due to, like, the vast distances involved or some egghead bullshit but there's not oh also last night we were asked by weird alien gurgles coming over the pa system which is even weirder since the moon's vacuum like the death star and that script my college roommate was writing last year what a loser i told him to take out the midichlorians and all the parts where someone screams no but that guy's like a lobotomized pit bull with a rag doll and his witless beardy yap when it comes to bad ideas Anyway, getting back to the aliens haunting my and Larry's existence, probably just another of Larry's pranks again. Like that one time he put that rubber chicken in my in my space helmet, but it turned out not to be a rubber one. Who had egg on their face that time? Hope I brought enough weed for this trip. It was either that or a spare oxygen tank, but air doesn't get you high. God, the moon's boring. It's in our sky for millions of years, and we never even bother naming it. Although I guess Luna's a name. Hmm, insanity. Who came up with that shit? Sounds like fucking Galileo. Hi, Daddy, Nainer, Nainer, Nainer. My Baho, my Baho. <laughs> Inspector Fuzz, Pea Green Soup, Diarrhea Ninjas. <laughs> Johnny, that's not a toy. Mommy, isn't a rocket that goes to the moon a toy? Starlog, Fangoria Issue 3, uh, I still think headband watches would be an awesome invention. Oh, also, last night, which here lasts 24 hours, something shredded our flag and turned our Land Rover over and cocooned our module in spider webs. If this module had a fireplace and Katie Holmes was my wife, I'd suspect CG tooth fairy demons. But since we're homesless people, it's got to be Larry and his absurdist pranks again. Just like that time he locked me in my gym locker back at the academy, and the security guards only found me two weeks later because the corpse of the kid in the locker beside mine had started to go south. Speaking of which, went to the South Pole today, of the moon, but still. Entry number whatever. Larry found a mysterious crater today, but it only had transformers on it. Check, please. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. 
Larry wanted to explore another crater, a couple more craters down that's always super dark and cold, but I told him we should focus on our mission, whatever that is. Also, not to be a sad astronaut, but while seeing the Earth rise from the moon is kind of awesome the first couple times, I mean, it's just like looking at the moon but in color. After a while, the Earth just reminds me of shit I got to do when I get back, like the rain gutters and teach Bobby how to use a tape recorder. Mother Earth, what a shrew. Also, I think I left the lights on in the garage. Entry number one after whatever. Finally got around all my postcards today, after which Larry laughingly admitted they don't have mailboxes up here after all. Kind of fucking starting to hate that guy. At least I know he's not banging my wife anymore this time. Oh, yeah, we found a Russian space capsule with some bloody uniforms in it, but nothing suspicious. Space Adventures, A Personal Reminiscence on Tape, Volume 1. Note to self, going to the moon is like the opposite of climbing Everest. The way up is speedy and breathtaking, but once you get there, there isn't a view. Plus, now you got to go up again just to get back. Way to go, Einstein. Also, I should probably delete this next observation in case my wife or mistress here, but you know you're horny when just the sight of a crater makes you have to change spacesuits every two minutes. Too bad we only brought two total. Speaking of which, Larry just isn't trying prankwise anymore. He took one of my rock samples out of the pillowcase that I promoted to Rock Sample Storage Unit Alpha, and then he just left it out on the floor for me to notice a couple hours later. I'd have noticed it sooner, but this capsule's just so spacious. <laughs> I was putting it back in the bag when it grew eight furry segmented legs and spewed CG spider jism in my face and telepathically told me my planet sucks. I told Larry enough was enough, but he just played dumb. I think maybe we should just stay friends after all. <laughs> space Log, Chapter Something. Played a funny joke on Larry today by dropping that sample in his spacesuit right before he went out to try and sew the flag back together in those fucking spacesuit gloves. Regular Betsy Ross, ha ha. He played along good-naturedly with my joke by screaming and sobbing and pretending it was a spider biting him on the face and by me seeing the spider. When I reeled him back in with the crane, he had a giant bloody wound in his side that I used pliers to tweeze my stool sample out with. That guy just doesn't know when to quit horsing around. Take my Henny Youngman, please. There's two more. Colonel's <laughs> log date today. Larry seems to have come down with space flu. His eyes are red and his pancreas is covered with black veins of CG pus. Since he's weak as a kitten, I force applied some powdered eye drops, but turned out it was for athlete's foot, so now his eyes are redder. Too bad we didn't bring a doctor. When I Morrison coded all this to Houston ground control at Cape Canaveral, they just ticker taped back, yeah, that's what we thought would happen. Mission successful. Great work, guys. Sorry, but we're leaving you up there to die. Oh, wait. Actually, we could use a few more pics of the crater. No hard feelings. Overall, not a bad day's work. Going to take a nap. Speaking of which, Larry threw up some nanobots and a quasar this morning. Him and his jokes again. <laughs> Final entry, last day of my life, half an hour ago. By proceeding header aside, I'm optimistic about my survival chances, since this Russian space pod I've run to after Larry tried to kill me seems to work strangely fine, considering it's been abandoned and pelted by meteorites for ten years. Luckily, Soviet tech's enough like our stuff to where I can get it airborne in a couple seconds. Oh, also went into the crater again. Saw some spiders, which is weird since they didn't look like they could have ripped the flag or dragged Larry away. Speaking of which, he showed up a few minutes ago to hammer at the window and then explode his own face into a bunch of bloody moon spider poops. Hmm, pretty intriguing life cycle this creature has. But there's no time for detailed analysis now. I have to rendezvous with Sparky Joe in the orbital. Right now, he's whining about how I'm coming in guns hot. What a mother hen. <laughs> 
Luckily, my pressing some random buttons got Russian air traffic controllers instantly on the line earlier who were kind enough to patch me through instantly to the head of the Department of Defense. I guess the Cold War's over. Yay! Maybe that was my mission all along. Makes more sense than sending a couple engineers with shaky cam to get killed by hermit crabs. It's my honeymoon in Monterey all over again. <laughs> anyway, the pod just hit mock pie. I should go. Joe's waving at me from the viewport. Actually, he's holding something up. Kind of hard to see because my eyes are turning red. And all these rock samples covering the interior of the ship that we didn't notice during our last trip for some reason are now sprouting legs and chittering at me. Okay, coming in on an approach vector now. Looks like Joe's holding up some kind of sign. Words on it can't really make them out. Guess I'll accelerate and get closer. S-L, slow, do, no, down. Yow, no, you. Fucking I-D-I-O. Is that an ampersand? And transmission. <laughs> Kelly Wan, that featured heretofore unseen production values in a synopsis. I, uh, I appreciate that. I didn't oh. do another fart in another one. After two years of this? Well, you also did the little uh, sound effects for the transmissions ending, and uh, they're, they're, you just broke new ground in terms of production values. Well played. Well done. Uh, I would sit through all of the credits of that synopsis. I would sit right here and watch all of the credits. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I got it from the trash bag. <laughs> oh, good point. I mean, uh, uh, suspension of disbelief. I would uh, buy the DVD and watch the blooper reel. And the deleted scenes and the alternate ending. Would you guys watch the blooper reel of Jason Momoa's sex scene from Conan? Uh, pass. Hmm. <laughs> All right, so before we talk about who liked this or didn't, uh, am I insane yes. to wonder what the f- how jeez Pete so how does this footage come to exist given the ending of the movie did that drive anyone else crazy yeah uh but you know thing is are San you, Diego I'm, no, I'm, police department found it no i mean I, I i love like i'm a big fan of found footage movies i love the innovation it kind of brings to the way stories are told but but an important part of a found footage movie is there has to be footage for someone to find when right. the footage is either left on the moon or presumably on one of on a spaceship that collides with another spaceship how because i'm watching the entire freaking movie thinking well one thing we do know is going to happen because i found kind of footage Exactly, is that this footage will get back to Earth. You know, I kind of like that about Dingus and I go into movies blind. We hadn't seen any trailers, so I was enjoying watching things unfold for the most part. But the one thing that I thought I knew, and this is this is a fundamental tenet of a found footage movie, is that somebody was going to make it back to Earth. And and I think I, I think I got cheated, right? Am I the only one here? No, you're absolutely right, because because up to a certain point, they make great pains to let you know, he, uh, I've got the film. I've got it. I'm putting it right, right here. Yeah. And then at the end, it's just, uh, oh, well, maybe it got transmitted. Yeah. It, and no, it didn't get transmitted because that's not. There was a lot of the stuff that was being filmed on those little eight millimeter things they had strapped on their chest, and that was not a live feed. I mean, the movie took pains to show you there were different methods and different. So there were there were different things being recorded to different sources, and some of it I could buy maybe was transmitted, uh, but a lot of that stuff clearly was not part of a feed. Uh, was right, was right, and so I just felt so freaking cheated by the end and. 
Uh, I think that's going to color my overall opinion on it, but I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just me. I thought maybe one of you guys could quickly explain something that I missed. Uh, no, but I was feeling that because as I get older, I get more finicky about the science in any movies, and it's uh, like up to that point, it's giving us like shit we've seen before, like in Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity. Like you hear shit, and it's watching while they sleep. And they're running away and shaky cam. Like the whole the whole point of this movie, I thought was going to be, oh, we're get, it's going to be moon footage, so it's going to be really fucking squirrely looking, and faded, and incomplete, and that was what was what was going to be scary about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it, thought it, it was going to go in a whole other direction, actually. But that's what do you mean, Transformers? <laughs> what do you think? I thought Are, that the, the the people who are purportedly editing it for LunarTruth.com we're going to be more um, uh, more present in the film because right. there's a, there's a moment early on where you see like a bit of editing and something where you're supposed to like look over here, look over here, and I thought that that was going to become increasingly more a part of the movie. And that, by the way, I think is one of the movie's failings is it starts to have this idea. A lot of found footage is presented neutrally, no editing, nobody sweetened it or highlighted anything. It's just displayed for you. But one of the things I kind of liked about Apollo 18 is it did flirt with this idea. Of, of after the fact editorial comment, like Dingus is saying with that little shaded out part, which is like Bigfoot footage. You know, you yeah, see right. Bigfoot footage, and they'll they'll highlight a little circle, you know, a little tiny thing in the corner of the screen, and that's part of this whole like conspiracy. I mean, that's like an iconic image for conspiracy theorists is grainy footage, part right. of it highlighted, and they even have some editorial comment when the moon rover flips over, and they replay the camera view and freeze frame on one of the little bug things. So I liked this idea that maybe they were going to flirt with the direction Dingus is talking about, and nothing came of it. Because, again, I'm thinking, well, okay, at the end, we're going to find out how this footage made it out, and there is going to be more editorial commentary. Uh, but I just feel like that was one of the many things that it, it failed to see through to the end. Uh, well, that's because cons- conspiracy theorists are so shy about projecting their opinions. <laughs> they are they are such wallflowers, aren't they? Those conspiracy theorists need to learn to speak up. <laughs> All right. uh, let's go around the room real quick. I just want to get a uh, get a little tally going here. Did anyone like this? I liked it while I was watching it, but the more I think about it, the less I like it, and the more I, I, I wish it had been more. I was really excited for this movie for some reason. I, I've, the last time I felt excitement was for Battle L.A. before I saw it, so I was ready to be bummed and crushed and... Mm-hmm. I, did, I didn't feel that level of disappointment, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, clearly. It's uh, no Battle L.A. I'm with you there, Kelly Wand. Yeah. But I, it, 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 it doesn't do anything as innovative as I was kind of hoping it would. Okay. And it, I was really bummed by the characterization of the astronauts because they were kind of pussies and idiots, and they didn't seem to have much scientific curiosity about what's going on, which they even had in the first Alien movie. Mm-hmm. Hold that thought. Let's go around the table some more. Dingus, did you like it? Uh, the last thing Kelly Wan just said really uh, speaks to me because I, I mean, I really, when I'm seeing these two actors, specifically like Nate and Ben in that capsule, uh, I really root for those guys as actors because it's a great job and there's a lot they can do with it, and I, I just feel for them so much as actors. I mean, I really want them to do well, and like he said, they don't ever seem like astronauts, and I felt terrible about that. And It just feels like constant missed opportunities. It never was creepy enough. It never really uh, 
went where it should have gone. It just felt like we're going to take a few things we learned from Paranormal Activity and goof on those. You know, the, sound. the exact same, same shots, same watch while you sleep. It's they didn't take advantage of the actual scariness of space to me. Absolutely, which is soundless fucking vacuum. It's Earth, a distant dot in the sky. That's super scary. Way scarier than hermit crabs. Or the unknown, the unknown of what that would be like to, you know, to be sitting in this, in this, in this module and hearing these noises. I mean, it's a different thing than sitting in a, in a condo and hearing them. So I, I just felt constantly let down by it. I mean, I kept just leaning forward wanting to like it because I felt for the actors, but, you know. And so, and also I love this director. I mean, well, at least I love one of his movies. And and that I think is a lot of why what my disappointment was as well. Is Dingus and I are huge fans of uh, I don't know if it was his last movie, but a previous movie he made called King of the Hill uh, that had a lot of that had some very unique uh, that had unique takes on its characters. Uh, it did some really cool narrative twists, and it was a neat overall idea. We really liked King of the Hill, and and uh, I think this movie didn't have any sign of that as far as i can tell but what really disappointed me and i think what maybe got my hopes up is we had another movie by a spanish director that that really saw through to the end the terror of isolation in a confined space uh and that i can't help but think maybe this is going to be one of those kind of movies and i'm talking about the movie buried uh with ryan reynolds who Uh can't remember the Spanish director's name, but it was a Spanish production. Uh, so uh, Gonzalo Lopez Gallegos, also a Spanish director, I was thinking, you know, maybe he can do something like that as well. And like you guys have uh, alluded to, I don't think it did much at all to really highlight the really scary part, you know, being away from Earth in this little tiny confined space and instead just did hackneyed little haunted house monstery things right which astronauts astronauts versus haunted house shit like those guys are fucking smart and and they have backbone and if if a sample was out of the bag they would go wait whoa 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 you know what lock everything down right exactly like like you know it and instead everything had the feel of like this mtv reality television confessional stuff i mean my god it was just very generic generic i love you like nothing yeah even the, the paranormal activity the characters sounded more unique, I thought. Well, it didn't really have, I think, the courage to, to seem as cold and technical as actual footage of stuff in space. Right, and right, like right. you said, Kelly Wand, I was kind of excited that maybe that's what we were going to get. And it did not have the courage to see that through or present that. Uh, I think it was trying to be more accessible. And, I, you know, they can get away with a little bit with this idea that it's a top secret mission that doesn't have this live feed to to you know the, the the rest of the country they get away with a little bit of that but i think they pushed it in that direction too far and it just didn't feel like any sort of space experience that we've all watched live i mean that's something that should tie into even if right. even if you're just young enough that you only know shuttle launches and and maybe footage of of an extra vehicular uh walk from the shuttle you know we all know what that looks like and none of that was really in this i mean occasionally like the way that it would composed the frame to where the people were jammed together at odd angles some of that was cool but you know why weren't there little like like numbers around on the screen like they could have done so much to really make it relate to things we've seen in space better and yeah. they didn't do any of that uh which is a long shot of a single camera that wasn't trained on the action yeah. i mean everything was was focused everything was uh, even zooming into what we should be looking at, and yet there was no editorial content about it. I mean, it well, was that, was just, the, that was the motion sensors, Dingus. Uh, yeah. 
But even when they wreck the 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 uh, rover at the end, I mean the the camera lands conveniently. I mean there's no there's no sense of um, of the quiet coldness of space and time. It's not going to take its time. It's not going to take like all of the nights of paranormal activity where nothing happened. We're not going to get any of that. We're going to get an aping of one of the dudes filming the other guy. Like in a like Katie standing over the bed. I mean, yeah. Come on. That and was then do so a fucking catch-up. Really? Are you, are you talking about the snore scare? Yeah. Come on. Really? Astronauts. And also the whole gimmick too, with uh, popping off the flashbulb in the completely dark room. I know that's been done a lot before. I think most recently of the the original Saw. Uh, but this whole idea of someone going through a dark room where only the the strobe flashbulb lights up the area. Can you so hear it, even though it's we even saw it last week with uh, "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark." Oh yeah, yeah, right. Did did, did she actually, she went through a completely dark room though? Maybe it's not. It's just that Right, right. So, so there's, there's one sequence in this movie that doesn't echo something from another movie, I would argue, and that's what bummed me out about it. Uh, wait a minute. I think I could maybe uh, – here's something that I appreciated. Let's, let's talk about minor things that maybe we liked. I really liked the look of the Russian moon lander. Yes. Like, because he's not an alien – it, well, and you know the Russians, of course, never landed on the moon, and and it, it was gr- this great. It was great for them to get to play with the aesthetic idea of what if the Russians actually had landed a secret. Like I love this kind of Cold War hardware stuff. Like I love the things uh, in Captain America, those those the Nazi crazy war machinery and the flying wing and the big tank. Like I love playing with designs like that, where it's partly familiar but it also has this crazy twist to it. So I really did like that Russian lunar lander. Uh, and I don't know, you know, you could probably point to something that influenced that, but that felt kind of fresh and unique to me. Uh, I don't know that I can think of anything else. Can you come on? Give us let's give let's give the movie some props. What's something that you liked in it? Me or Dingus? Both of you. Both of you come up with something. Come on, I know there's got to be something. The premise. I like the rocks themselves, and I liked how um, I liked their little rover too, but they didn't get much mileage out of it, as it were. Literally, and I have a little right. And I had trouble estimating like how f- I had a bad sense of they didn't give me the sense of place like rel- like how far was this crater that they right. were and didn't they see the Russian ship from above was this, okay so it's dark and if it's that much colder then they can't go into it because uh, the whole idea is the moon's hot so they need special equipment to get into the dark parts because you got to do it at a certain time of day never mind. Uh, I, I had to turn off my brain for any sort of physics-related stuff because I don't I don't know that there are uh, yeah I don't I don't I, I was just going to let it do whatever it wanted in terms of physics like this idea that he's just going to launch the lunar lander the Russian one and rendezvous right. the orbital thing I was like okay movie if you just want to be brain dead about that stuff fair enough so and they're both exactly the right size to to explode and kill everyone but but just but we can still get the footage from it. <laughs> They did mention he did mention at one point. Okay, I'm bringing along the black box. So maybe the idea is that the black box survived and that somehow somebody plucked it out of space. But but you know what? That's the I was gonna give them all of that sort of willing suspension of disbelief for the launching and the things hitting and this stuff about oh if I go down this incline it's gonna be too cold for my suit. Whatever. If you want to do that stupid shortcuts around science fine but if you're going to violate the fundamental tenet of a found footage movie by not making this footage not making it clear how this gets home then i'm not going to play with you anymore so you know 
Okay, here's how I would have ended the movie, and it would it would do what you're complaining about even worse. Okay. Here's my ending for it. They're he they're flying away, and they think they've gotten away, and he rendezvous is okay, and he, he's alive, and they're like, okay, dude, so now we just got to get back to Earth and hopefully not get killed, Capricorn One style. Right. And then they look back, and the moon sprouts legs, and you find out it's a giant <laughs> hermit crab, and it fucking eats the Earth, and then that's the end of the movie. And you're like, wait, what? This happened in 74? What? Damn you, Kelly One! I do love a movie that's willing to play Inglorious Bastard style with yeah. with known history. I, I'm I'm more than happy to to allow a movie to do that. Yeah. Uh, so Kelly Wand, I would have liked your script. Dingus, what's something that you liked about this? Give give this movie props for something. I'm sure you got something you liked. I really liked that moment, and I think Kelly kind of alluded to it just now, where uh, I think it's Ben says uh, this sample feels strange. You know, the first time he gets he gets one of those sample rocks, he says, sample feels strange. And you immediately feel this little chill of, why does that feel strange? And But instead of kind of bringing us along, I mean, you get this, this sense of, oh, we're going to get like an Ash-style examination of the sample. But, of course, they don't do that. They don't, they're not inquisitive as scientists in any way. <laughs> but just that, that idea of, Sam, that sample feels strange. I just I loved that little moment. And then what I what I said earlier that that moment early on where it felt like uh, that uh, like you said Tom that big that Bigfoot style we're going to isolate this part of the picture and show it to you. Uh, it made me hopeful that oh we're going we're going in a slightly different direction here. This isn't just crap that somebody found and, and threw up. And what I thought when I saw that little isolated part of the screen in the crater where something was clearly like we're supposed to see something moving was, Oh yeah. Uh, conspiracy theorists have uploaded this to lunartruth.com. So we're going to go in a different direction here. We're going to get something else going on with this found footage film, but instead it's just, this is just a tease. So though I loved those two things, but they didn't pay out. Right. Uh, and I'm with, uh, what you're getting at here, Dingus, and what Kelly talked about before. I like the overall story as well. This idea yeah. that I didn't really need this aliens thing where it gets in him and infests him and he turns into a zombie. That was just absurd. But the fundamental idea I really liked, and that is that moon rocks are somehow, uh, a piece of some living alien thing, and they're on Earth, and they've been passed around to foreign dignitaries. Like that final title card. I think that could have made a really cool story for something more restrained if they didn't go with the stupid zombie stuff and the ghost story stuff. Uh, so, so somewhere in the course of the development for this movie, I bet there was a version of it that I really would have liked. Because I don't think, you know, we can make fun of this idea that, you know, moon rocks turning into spiders. That sounds absurd, but I like the idea that maybe moon rocks are this weird form of life. You know, we've got a lot of... That, that's a, a, a classic horror premise, is that something comes from space that we don't understand, whether right. it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers or the meteorite that turns Stephen King into a fungus. Uh, you know, that, that's classic horror stuff. And so I like this idea that instead of it landing through the atmosphere, we brought it back, and maybe we're smart enough to know something about it that we're handing it out. Uh, like, I like that, that, that concept. And I, I also... You're right, Dingus, when he says it feels strange, I immediately flashed on the fact, I don't know about you guys, have, have you guys ever touched a moon rock? Because I have. Come on. No, no, no. Yeah, um, where'd you touch you, one, fucker? I'm kind of jealous. Where'd you, I haven't touched one. Dingus? You guys touch moon rocks? Oh, I'm jealous. Dingus, they feel you? strange? 
No, yeah, it's, it's like a rock. Smithsonian. Exactly. There's a there's a moon rock at the Smithsonian that you can go and you can touch it. It just feels like a yeah. rock. But but there's this cool sense of holy cats, I'm touching something from the moon. Another planet. Yeah. Well, that's why it felt like this is specific to where this crater was on the South Pole, and th- this is different. This this might be uh, an impact crater from some alien race. I don't know if all the moon rocks are this. So so that thing at the end about all the foreign dignitaries getting moon rocks uh, rang completely false to me because of how the rapidity with which these rock lobsters reacted and the fact that nothing has happened since 1974. Oh, um, right. Well, Dingus, let me let me interrupt real quick because I do think it kind of covers its bases here. The, I think the concept is that the, the little signal things that they're putting out wake them up. Like, I, I think I like oh, okay. they didn't explain what those, they called them PTO 19s or whatever. I like that they didn't explain what those little things were that they were setting up. But I think the idea was that the government sent these astronauts there to set up these things that are supposed to wake the creatures up. And they turned them on, and that's what made them wake up. That's at least, <laughs> it wasn't explicit, but that's sort of what I inferred from from what I saw. Why wouldn't we wake them up and kill them? I mean, well, why? Then they, then they brought the. Wait, wait. Now we know that. Okay, hold on. Now we brought the. We go up there and right. we got. We give these. We get. We know there's spiders, according to the movie. The movie ends with the government knowing it, and then they give out the rocks to the dignitaries. Yeah. So that, so that at one point, and this is a Cold War strategy. At some point in the future, we can wake these little creatures up in foreign oh. countries to stabilize them. I mean, that's what I think the movie is going for, and I. I I guess I, I mean I think it was subtle enough that I, <laughs> you guys missed it, so it was that subtle. Uh, but I, at least I felt that's what the movie was trying to get at: is that no, the things I, that they set up wake up the creatures, and they sent the astronauts there specifically to test that, and that that's what the Russians were doing there as well. And so that we have handed these rocks out, and at some point in the future, we use these machines to wake the rocks up, and basically they'll I don't know destroy or infect the foreign countries. That's, wait, that's what I thought. But the Russians have them, and we have them. No, the Russians didn't get back. That's the thing. Is the Russians? But we didn't get back. Well, there you go. Well, but we did bring back. We didn't get back that mission, but we have brought moon rocks back. Huh. So I think this was a failed mission. The, the idea, the fiction, I think, of the story is throughout the Apollo program, when we bring samples back, at one point we realized, whoa. These things are alive. Let's send these astronauts. We're going to do this one experimental mission to send these astronauts to turn on these these little wake-up spider machines and verify that this is how we activate these moon rocks. And once we've done that, then we hand out the moon rocks to, to the other nations. Because doing it in a lab on Earth would be impossible. Yeah. You can't wake them up down there, even if you already have the rocks. you got to go get more rocks and send two guys to their deaths and lose all the footage. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I look, it's fine saying it's implausible, but... Tom, um, you're saying the American government doesn't know what it's doing, and it's buffoonish, and I just don't think the historical record supports your theory. <laughs> I, I have a question that I want to ask you guys that's okay. kind of on a different uh, on a different tangent. Um, what, I, what I started to feel early on, I mean, um, it, one of the early things that started to bother me, and, and this... Uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about it, is that as soon as they took off, I just started to feel like there's not going to be any women here, and this is going to ruin it for me. <laughs> no, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's you know what? Ruin it as an alien? What? what do you mean? Women? No, it's, it's the, yeah, it's women, because the, the, the presence of a woman in a in this kind of found footage horror scenario makes a big deal of difference to me. Does it not matter to you guys? 
It's the space it's, program. Yeah, it's, it's the both- space program. It's the Cold War era. It's way pre Sally. Ride. No, who? Okay. No, I understand that it's possible. Possible. Sally Ride. It's pre Sally Ride. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I completely. She a woman in plausibly, in your opinion. No, I'm they- not saying that they could have. I'm just saying everything being equal, the the fact that they can't have that. It's that uh, there's something that's lost for me that a woman that the female energy or that a woman is not going to be involved in the story at all. I don't think I remember that from another movie we saw called, uh, I think, uh, I think it's called the objective. I don't remember feeling that way, but I definitely felt that way as the movie launched or as the, as the rocket launched, I realized there's not going to be any female involved in this. And I felt a little cheated. Well, first of all, there is a woman in the objective, but I agree. Uh, so the objective is actually a movie that I thought of because obje- the objective, it's not found footage, but I think it's a good instance of what Apollo 18 was trying to be. Uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but Dingus, I totally, as a guy who routinely raises that objection about movies, I'm fine with this. I did not. I, I mean, this is a, this is the Apollo program. We did not send women into space. You know, we got to see their wives. That was the token. Eh, these dudes have chicks in their lives, kind of thing. Here's your female energy. Now we're shooting you out to space with all the dudes. Um, <laughs> you know, I. I and that's if there had been the- a woman, I would have thought, oh, that's there to appease Dingus. <laughs> no, I'm not She's saying they should have shoehorn a woman in there. I'm just saying that. I realize that there's no way a woman is going to be a part of this, and I Bubba. feel a little bit uh, like I'm going to miss something. I'm going to miss out on something as far as a horror movie or a found footage movie without having that sort of dynamic. Uh, that's weird because women aren't. I mean, they help, but it's not. You don't need horror is possible without women <laughs> and kids. Hint, hint. Dingus, Sorry, Tom. Uh, Dingus, just watch The Descent a few times. I think you'll uh, it'll make up for it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did actually think of the descent as he was going into the creator, uh, the creator, the crater. Whoa, Freudian slip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here, let's talk. Uh, so, so the objective, if folks haven't seen it, it's the guy that did Blair Witch Project. Uh, it's one of the two guys, uh, Daniel Myrick and Edward Sanchez. Uh, co-directed Blair Witch Project, uh, which I think people think of as the first really successful found footage movie. It really sort of codified that whole concept. There were previous movies that you could argue were found footage, including, by the way, I can't think of the name of it, but there's a really cool uh, British made-for-TV, it's like pre-reality TV thing, where a British TV crew goes into a haunted house and this was actually broadcast on British TV, and they had a weird War of the Worlds kind of thing where a lot of people watching it actually thought it was real. Uh, but if you can uh, – and I can't think of the name of it. Does either of you know what I'm talking about? It's like the very – Yeah, I forget the name too. But it's but really good. It. It's, it's good. It's a little dated, but it's good. So, uh, so then Blair Witch Project comes along, and it sort of really sets – the rules for found footage and really popularizes that format, I think. And one of the guys who directed it, Daniel Myrick, I think, went on to make a movie called The Objective, which has a lot in common with Blair Witch Project, even though it's not a found footage movie. And it also has something in common with Apollo 18. And unfortunately, I can't say too much about it without spoiling it because it's a big reveal in The Objective. But just to briefly lay the stage, The Objective is a story about uh, a, a a team of, of commandos, they're, they're military people, they're not mercenaries, but they're a team of military personnel who were sent into Afghanistan shortly after 9-11 to investigate what is explained as strange radiation signals that might imply that the Taliban have a nuclear weapon. 
So it's just these guys going to investigate this. And there's an actor named Jonas Bell who's really, really good in it as the CIA fella. And he's got with him a camera that he's using to document everything. And that sort of has a lot in common with Blair Witch Project, which is about these people who want to use a camera to document this, this strange situation. So the objective's about how this team goes in. It's all military personnel. So like Dingus was saying, you know, there's no female energy here. There's no Heather Donahue uh, actually, is that her name? There's Anyway, there's no actresses. This is all dudes going into Afghanistan to investigate these signals that turn out to be something really weird. And the final reveal about what their actual objective is is, is really cool. Uh, for all its limitations, I, I heartily recommend the objective as, as, as an example of what I think Apollo 18 could have been and, and was trying to be. Um, hmm. So let's talk found footage movies then. Uh what uh, so we all like Wreck, correct? I believe we, we've all seen that. By the way, that that I think does a great exam. That's a great example, Dingus, of making sure to get a female energy, you know, a woman front and center, w- without doing it in a contrived way. Right. Wreck did a great job of of you know what? Let's get a woman in there. Let's make her a huge part of the action, and let's not be gratuitous about it. I'm a Cloverfield apologist. Cloverfield, yeah, we all like Cloverfield. Well, I think and, we all... you know, and let me be clear, I don't want them to try to figure that out, because, because as you described the objective, I suddenly remembered something I felt about The Way Back, uh, when Saoirse Ronan suddenly showed up, and I felt... <laughs> Uh, I felt like, why, you know, and you guys both love that. And I was like, why is she here? I mean, she's just going to be throwing this in. And Tom really liked the female energy that she added. And she's great. I mean, she's she's great. Uh, but uh, I don't want them to throw uh, like a Helen Mirren cosmonaut onto the moon. Oh, uh, hot. That's hot. That's sexy. Dingus. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. The it it's just that as as the uh, as they're taking off from Earth, I just realized there's not going to be any girls in this. Well, you know, that's not only that, Dingus, but I think there's a lot, as they're taking off from Earth, they just fail to appreciate a lot of what makes that situation unique. The isolation, the loneliness, the the, the cramped quarters, I mean, they kind of touch on a little bit of it, but there's a lot of stuff that I think they just fail to appreciate. And uh... It looked cool. I mean, I liked the bunks. I liked the way they, they were sort of making their little environment, but they never really explored it. I mean, they didn't explore the time or the space or... You know, I think Kelly even mentioned that how long it would take to get from from place to place on the moon. Even even the movie Moon, uh, you you get a sense of yep. how long it takes to get from place to place. Yes, so, that yeah. you know what that that whole delay thing with the transmissions in Moon. Yeah, Moon had did a much better job of creating that isolation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but back to found footage, what you were saying. So, about. well, I, what I really want to get at is I I want to. I want to raise what I think is the best found footage movie I've ever seen, and I doubt either of you have seen it. And what makes this found footage movie so good is how it is layered, how it has several different sort of uh, levels of found footage. It does this weird rabbit hole stuff where it's exploring one thing and in looking at the footage, something else comes up, which leads to something else. This movie is a found footage movie and also this great unfolding mystery story that has an incredibly creepy, satisfying resolution. Uh, It's Australian. It's actually being remade as an American movie, but they are not keeping it as a found footage movie, which I think is going to kill it. So Uh. here's the thing. If you if it's on Netflix, I, I recommend to everyone listening what I think is the best instance of a found footage movie. And it's it's an Australian horror movie called Lake Mungo. Is that what I know. I know. No. Don't laugh at that. 
That's, no, I'm excited. Well, unfortunately, they name things. They they have silly names for things in Australia, uh, and that's just the name of an actual lake, I think. Uh, yeah, Tom, you've got to say it in your accent. Come on now. Two days ago, I saw a movie called Lake Mungo. <laughs> you should say it. It's found footage. That's my uh, Eric Bana. Uh, uh, I thought it was your uh, Flight of the Concords. <laughs> That's those are those are people from New Zealand. Those are the New Zealous. That's that uh-huh. would be a New Zealous accent. Uh, <laughs> but so, Dingus, you have not seen Lake Mungo either, right? Uh, Lake Mungo. Right, get it. Uh, so anyway, that that uh, as far as found footage go, and I know Kelly, you're a huge huge fan of a, a kind of found footage movie called The Fourth Kind, aren't you? Uh. <laughs> uh, uh. Well, Apollo 18 is good compared to it. I was so glad that there were actual credits at the end of uh, Apollo 18, because the fourth kind, one of the things that's, and the fourth kind is just terrible anyway, but I just so resented how they tried to sell it as an actual thing, and they didn't acknowledge the actors. And they had I know, I looked it up, and I was like, there wasn't even, like, a, the conspiracy theorists like, nah, fuck that. Right. Like, the craziest people on Earth were like, no, there's nothing going on in Alaska, boring, Sarah Palin. Yeah, fourth kind is just is is just offensive for reasons that it doesn't want to be provocative. Uh, I hated that. Plus, you don't see the aliens; you just see people talking on couches about aliens. Fuck that shit. I agree with you, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Uh, so, did you guys at least like? So, I want to mention something that I liked. Uh, I kind of liked what I think was the money shot. Whoa. <laughs> What about the movie we watched? Oh, I, I liked the shot where he goes into space and hits zero G and the rocks float up and then sprout legs and attack him. However, I, again, it didn't fit with the freaking movie because if this is the footage you've got, why are you bothering to highlight the little tiny moving rock? I mean, it's so it so shows its hand and it feels like it's pandering to people who come to see this and want to see yeah. aliens and stuff. And I, you know, visually, I kind of like that, but it was just so out of sorts with what would have made this a good movie. And who shot like that part? Sorry. Exactly. And I was so distracted by his facial freak out, you know, slow-mo, uh, his, you know, his face yeah. is freaking out while John is there going, you have to slow down so you don't run into me. <laughs> uh, did y'all's audience like it? It was they were dead silent the whole time. So I don't know. Uh, the, the dude next to me said to as soon as it ended, the guy next to me said to his date, sorry. <laughs> Uh, I had someone stand up when it was over uh, for to walk out, not to announce this. But as they stood up to walk out, they yelled, minus one out of five. Mm. <laughs> really? Yeah. They spent enough time compi- like doing the integers. I, like they, they, had a, they had a six scale in their heads. And they felt the need to announce it to those of us in the Yeah, better than a negative two, like the fourth kind, but... I had at least four people walk out. The first people walked out after the impossible um, and goofy. You know, you know, you're in trouble when the first scare is like something scary going across the camera, oh, and yeah. especially when you realize they're like crab size, and there's no way it could have flown across the camera that way. Um, but uh, but I, I but the first people walked out then, and another couple walked out, and then afterward, of course, that guy said, "Sorry, baby," and and uh, and as they were walking out, this I can't, you know, it's hard to believe it's over, uh, and nobody, and it was a full theater, but you know, there was like like Kelly Wan said, there was nobody jumping, there were no like like real uh, real reactions to any of even the uh, snore scare, right? 
Well, I think they did. I mean, I, I, I kind of am inclined to think that they did a good job marketing it, so they got a lot of unsuspecting people out. Like, it's a PG-13 movie, and there were a fair number of, like, kids in my audience. Uh-huh. So I, I imagine it makes a good trailer, and people think it's going to be some kind of, like, thrill ride thing. Or, or you know what? Paranormal Activity has just made found footage stuff titillating now. Like, I, I think people maybe turn out for that. And so I think they sold Don't worry, the catfish guys will take that away. <laughs> well, like I said, that's why, and that's why, because this isn't a mainstream horror film. You know, Dingus, you liked Fright Night, and, and that's fine, but in talking to another one of my friends recently, I realized that my main problem with Fright Night is it's it's pretty much just kind of a safe mainstream horror film, and that's fine. I can appreciate some of those, but I just see so many horror films that I what I really look for is something that's a little different, and I do feel Apollo 18 at least has that going for it. So for that reason, I'm really, really glad that it beat Shark Night 3D, uh, huh. which is just the epitome of just safe, toothless, mainstream horror. Uh, really? Yeah, oh yeah, it's terrible. That's too bad, because Piranha was such an awesome... Piranha, well, I think... Piranha it, movie. And Piranha, that, Kelly Wan, that... that gets into your whole distinction about R-rated versus PG-13. I mean, the stuff that made Piranha 3D as good as it was should have been in Shark Knight 3D, but wasn't because it's a PG-13 safe, toothless... Wait, Shark Knight's PG-13? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why you didn't see it. Oh, right. Tom saw it. What a maroon. I go, I'll see, I don't mind seeing bad movies. I also saw The Debt, which is also really bad. I have no compunction about uh, bad movies. How was The Help? You racist. Yeah, okay, you got me there, Kelly Wand. Uh-huh. <laughs> you tell me, Kelly Wand, how was the help? Uh, it was almost as good as the porno version of Apollo 18. A Clitoro 69. One, two, three, not only you and me. One, eight, 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 three, when I'm caught in between. Uh, Kelly Wan, I just want to say you make my life so easy. Yeah. Uh, but you probably wanted to say other stuff uh, about Apollo. <laughs> I'm no, I'm I'm tapped out. Did you guys want to say more? I wanted to talk about We Three Kings at the end over the credits. That was going to be fun, and there was a Yes song in it, and not was. the right one. It should have been Starship Troopers. Right. Why do they not use Starship Troopers, the obvious choice, if you're going to license one of those expensive Yes songs? Go for Starship Troopers. Uh, Dingus, yeah. do you, re- do you okay. recognize that Yes song, by the way, Dingus? And there's a very specific reason. This is, okay, everybody listening can just ignore this because it's just between a little inside thing with me and Dingus. But Dingus, did you recognize that Yes song? Uh, absolutely not. I just noticed at the end, because I watch all the credits, that Yes was there. So... That Yes song, it's called And You and I, and it begins with this very distinctive little guitar riff. And people who have watched In Treatment, which is uh, an HBO series uh, with Gabriel Byrne playing a, a psychoanalyst, uh, there's, a, there's a riff that opens In Treatment that is a dead ringer. It's almost the, I don't know much about music, but I think like note for note, it's that same opening from And You and I, which is a, a Yes song. So, Dingus, I didn't know if you would... I, I guess you didn't catch that connection, Dingus. I'm, I didn't I'm, catch it, but now that you say that, I can hear it. <laughs> I can hear the riff in yeah. my head. So just imagine the opening of Beyond Treatment, and that's how end you and I. And that's and that's in uh, Apollo 18. So what else did I cut us off that we can't talk about, that I feel bad about? Anything else? Nah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's do a three-by-three. Three. Are you guys ready? Uh, Why I, you I, 
Because this is fucking lame. Is it really? <laughs> okay, I I disagree, but go ahead. What, what? is it, Kelly? You are taught. You were hating it. I never hated it. Why? No, no, none of us ever hated it. We went with it, it with sight unseen. We said no. Tom went dingus. Can you? You should veto this. Like <laughs> I did not. This yeah, you did. What? Okay. I don't know that's where not, you're. I that's not true. Ours is the spirit that built America. Hmm. Is that Beautiful. is that the tagline for Ford? What is that? Cylon. <laughs> one of the last things you hear from the secretary of the Department of Defense. Oh, that's an Apollo 18 spoiler, Dingus. Nice work. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> Kelly, one. What is this week's three by three that you're so down on it? Uh, it wasn't fun to compile. No, what is I it? Mean, let, let the listeners know what they're in for. Uh, three by three battles of the sexes. I don't know what that means. All right, now, you will be going last because it's your three by three. But uh, so before you go, I'm going to ask you why you're so down on it. So be ready with that, be ready with that answer, Kelly Wand. Uh, Dingus, you are introducing next week's three by three, so you'll be starting us off. What is your number three favorite instance of Battles of the Sexes, and what did you think of this topic? Hmm. I liked that I got to make of it whatever I wanted to, uh, but uh, I hated the fact that I didn't have limitations, so I had to think more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I, I like is when somebody says, uh, we're going to do um, uh, production design, but you can't talk about science fiction. And then I have to really limit. Uh, so this this time I just decided to go easy <laughs> and just go with fights between men and women. And not emotional crap. Just fight. And I tried to do fights between men, men and women where they don't end up in bed, and I failed utterly, as you can see by my very first one. Um. And I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm just going to give you guys a, a little line from it. Awesome. I'm going to get it this time. i got a good feeling about this one. Here you go. My first battle of the sexes. My number three is, here's the quote, it's all gooshy. Oh, yeah. Wait, that's not a battle of the sexes. How's that a battle of the sexes? I, I want to know the answer to that as well, but I, I like Dingus's pick because I love that movie, but I want to know the answer to Kelly Wad's question as well. It's a girl... Fighting against a guy. No, that's not that. <laughs> See what happens, Kelly Wan, when you just throw out a broad topic? Well, I thought it went without saying, but... <laughs> it doesn't. So mm-hmm. there you go. And, uh, and I don't want to say anything because it's from the movie Super, directed by uh, one James Gunn. Uh, I'm to be persistent in saying it's a 2010 movie, but it came out in America in 2011. And this is a battle between Bolty and the Crimson Bolt. And I think everybody is a winner in this battle. Yeah, it's a real battle for the yep. insertion. Don't say uh, anything whoa, else, whoa, Kelly. Want it's a battle. Uh, I don't care what you say. It's a battle. Uh, what is a battle but a struggle? So there you go. Next. So Dingus, that's James Gunn, the writer of Scooby Doo, right? <laughs> I was actually at the supermarket earlier today, and uh, while I was in line, they had a bunch of Blu-rays just out there that they're trying to get people to buy for ten bucks. No. Uh, oh, one of the Blu-rays was for the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead, uh, huh. so I just picked it up and I was looking at the extras, and I noticed, and I never realized this. James Gunn wrote that, like it's a remake what? of the George Romero one. But did you guys know that? That's a James Gunn script. I had no idea. Yeah. How about that? Uh, so you have him to thank for Zombie Babies. In, uh, uh, the Peter Jackson did better zombie babies. That is very true. It's a very good point. Those are the uh, quintessential zombie babies. Dawn of the Dead's five awesome minutes, and then the rest of the movie. I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, all right, Dingus. So, uh, interesting pick. Uh, I like your pick. 
um, super and yeah, I, I you know what I think any list any three by three where you can get super on it is not a complete loss. So well, well that's, that's a battle that can get on any list apparently because I would have said best forcible sex. Stop, stop yeah. talking. Stop uh, talking. I want to hear where Tom went because I know Tom put a limitation on himself and I want to hear what that is. Well, I didn't actually. So to me, thing is battle of the sexes means like a very specific thing. Like it's a it's almost like a theme sort of like. Uh, I have a bunch of runners-up I want to talk about, but there are things that I didn't... You know, let me just... Well, I'm not, I'll save it for the runners-up. But when, when Kelly Wan said that, I immediately think of very specific kinds of movies. Um, and specifically, it's about the, the unique things about men and women that cause them to not work together. And so mm-hmm. I thought of movies that either highlight that for the most part and a, a lot of movies highlight that for sort of comedy and i don't imagine any of you picked war of the roses but that's sort of the classic example like it's this black comedy about a, a bitter divorce and that's like a classic battle of the sexes so i wanted to sort of veer away from that and go more towards more realistic things uh, so that's what most of my list is however when i hear battle of the sexes i can't not include this one movie, which is not realistic. It's hyper-stylized, but it is so energetic and irresistible and colorful and stylish and, 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 and winsome. I, I adore this movie. Uh, so I just have to put it on there, even though it's not necessarily a serious Battle of the Sexes. It's very clearly a Battle of the Sexes movie. It's one of this director's two Battle of the Sexes movies, one of which the other one he did sucks. This one is really good. Uh, and this movie is called Down With Love. And it's all about uh, Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger as competing philosophies about love and why they don't want to fall in love. And the whole idea is that it's kind of a modern version of these uh, Rock Hudson, Doris Day movies, none of which I've ever seen. So I don't really understand the the source material for it. But I do think it's, as I said, it's an irresistible movie. Uh, I think everyone should see Down With Love and I can't imagine not, somebody not liking that movie. It's just so infectiously enthusiastic. Uh, so that's my number three, uh, and that's like a classic battle of the sexes. And it's not just, by the way, Ewan, Reg- Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger. It's got a great supporting cast engaged in their own battles of the sexes. Why do you hate Bring It On? You know, Bring It On is not a battle of the sexes, Dingus. That's a cheerleader movie. Oh, my mistake. So Peyton Re- Peyton Reed? That doesn't sound right. Yeah, that's his name. Peyton Reed did a vanity project with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston, I think called The Breakup, uh, uh. which is, is just, it it just it reads like, a, it, it plays like a celebrity vehicle, uh, and I just didn't care for it. That's his other movie. Isn't it, what's the one where Gerard Butler is Jennifer Aniston's enemy? That or- is the Bounty Hunter one, which I've also seen and kind of, had a little bit of a guilty pleasure with it because my contention about Jennifer Aniston is she cannot get along with anyone on screen. She's just so grating. And so watching Gerard Butler trying his best to create a sense of chemistry with Jennifer Aniston is, is oddly fascinating. Uh, it's called the bounty hunter. <laughs> I don't know, what is that called? The, the bounty hunter. The pick, is it the bounty? No, I don't think it's What's the, the one where it's him. And Oh wait, what are you thinking of? What are you trying to say? Maybe Mr. Sam was saying. No, he's right. He's a bounty hunter. She's his ex-wife, and he is tasked to pick her up for parking violations. And he does so, but the mob is after her or something as well. So they're exes. They're thrown together in a madcap zany comedy, and it's called the Barstinium Stew. Huh? 
<laughs> I can't remember the name. The something something. I think. It's What's one of those the one of- with Gerard Butler and Catherine Heigl? And uh, I have. Oh, I don't know. Are they in a romantic comedy together? Yeah, she's like on TV, and he's the misogynist. So he becomes a hit. I, all these things become hits. Like Mel Gibson's Beaver Puppet becomes a phenomenon in that movie. Like, oh look, guys going a beaver, so everyone buys it. Okay, what? It's just it's called the Bounty Hunter. Stop it. Is it really called the Bounty Hunter? It's that on the nose. Yeah. Wow. I never. As opposed to what? What do we? What, what? The pickup or the the arrestation. <laughs> Switcheroo. Or... Killers. <laughs> I love you, but fuck. <laughs> Something's gonna happen. You know those yeah, kind run. of titles. The wacky Mr. And Mrs. Wacky. Something borrowed. Yeah, I don't this know. Trip with my ex-wife's friend. Those Morgans again. Fuck. Anyway, quit. Quit bringing up Kelly Wan that I like some of these cheesy movies because it's gonna it's gonna undermine me recommending Down with Love. I promise that Down with Love is not one of those guilty pleasures. I dig us back me up on this. So it's not uh, pleasure. I, I endorse the uh, mention of Down with Love. Thank you. Any podcast. Thank you. Good. All right. So Kelly Wan, you need to see Down with Love. You've already seen Super. Uh, so far, so good. But Kelly, what is your number three choice for Battle of the Sexes, and why are you so down on this uh, three by three? Um, it just felt hard to come up with them. I had to really think about it. I don't like working. I don't like thinking. I don't like coming up with lists. I don't like explaining my choices. I don't like uh, anything. I hate everything. All right, here's my number three. I think Kelly, what we're all standing by for is whether or not you managed to get zapped on this list. No. Don't spoil it. It's not a great battle of the sexes, Zapped. It's more more of a bromance. It's all good vibes. The sexes don't really fight. I mean, she throws a watermelon at his head, Scott Baio's head, at prom. But they're not really fighting. It's because Willie Ames ducked. Anyway, my number three, you'll be excited to hear because you wanted me to see this movie for a long time. And it's uh, Punch Drunk Love. Finally watched it. Finally. Mm-hmm. And you think of it as a battle of the sexes? I'm yeah. excited for this because uh, because there was something about this movie that made me think about this category. I'm really happy right now. Hmm. Well, your thinking is usually more logical than mine. So my illogical reason to put it on the list was uh, it's Adam Sandler beating men sent by bad women because another woman loves him. So it's like women fighting other women using men as their pawns. I don't think I remember any of that. <laughs> when did that happen? What part? Were any uh, the guys in the truck? Which, by the way, was kind of, the, I thought, the weak part of that movie. Like, it seemed kind of unrealistic. That... Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman sent them, though, not not the phone sex woman. Yeah, but they work together. <laughs> okay. so, so their um, or something. A man who works with a woman sex. sent other men, so therefore it's a battle of the sexes. Yeah, but then Adam Sandler beats those <laughs> men because he's in love with Emily Watson, and he, he discovers his inner... Uh, he gets he stands up to his sisters, finally. It's the power of love, Kelly Wand. That's not what love does, though. It makes you lamer. <laughs> it makes you worse at fighting, doesn't it? I mean, lust is good. It's It's just... I can't believe Dingus put fucking Super as a battle. I mean, that's so- <laughs> we'll hold that thought. Uh, so, Dingus, why did this make you happy? What, what you said you thought of this movie in relation to the topic, and it made you happy. Uh, what, what, what made you think of this movie, Punch Drunk Love? 
uh, when I was when I was thinking about being more um, subtle <laughs> with this list instead of just going with uh, men and women punching each other <laughs> or fighting, um, there, there's uh, I, I'm interested to hear if Kelly even liked the movie, but what, it has one of my favorite exchanges in a movie ever, and it starts it starts like this. I'm just going off the top of my head, but it's I'm looking at your face and I want to smash it. <laughs> It's a very contentious statement said in a very loving way. It's very odd, isn't it? Yes. Right. And so when I'm thinking of Battle of the Sexes, there's a lot of ways you can go. And Tom went in a certain way. I went, I went in, a, in a more obvious way. But, but that, obvious, that, that, that exchange between the two of them, looking at your face, I want to smash it, and her response to that, and where it goes from there is a really great sort of take on Battle of the Sexes. I, I eventually went away from that, and I'm just I'm – just, Please just punch that Kelly brought it up. Get it? <laughs> oh, I didn't even mean to do that. That's sure. crazy. Uh, Kelly, Kelly, did you even like the movie? Yeah. Wait, do I sound weird? Sounds strange. You, you do sound weird. I'm just asking if you like the movie. Oh, uh, yeah, mostly. Right. It's no, there will be blood, but... <laughs> All right, so Dingus, what is your number two instance of a battle of the sexes in a movie go well i feel terrible about this one now that kelly has brought up one of my favorite movies ever in punch drunk love and um i'm not even sure he liked it that much but it's still one of my, and i'm just so happy he saw it but this this is just a goofy uh goofy example of battle of the sexes and um it's a movie that i i just kind of like uh, but I love the battle of the sexes in it, especially the the uh, main battle scene. And here's a quote from it, uh, or here's a little bit of dialogue from it, actually. Mm-hmm. Do you want us to do one of the other lines? Yes, Tom. After I say my line, would you right. just go, ugh, ugh. Okay. Okay, ready? Yep. You still alive, baby? Uh. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Are you still alive, baby? It's a terrible line. Are you still alive, baby? Uh, I don't know, Dingus. I don't think I've seen it. It's Mr. and Mrs. Jones. Very nice, Kelly. How did you know that? Because it's from the trailer. Oh. I don't watch trailers. I didn't know. Oh. What is it's Mr. and tra- Mrs. Jones? It's, it's not where they're... Mrs. Smith. Stop it. Oh. Oh, yeah. hmm. uh, I didn't really care much for Mr. and Mrs. Smith overall. Um, but that, that scene where, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not afraid to say it. I freaking love Brad Pitt and, uh, and that whole opening, that scene where he, he gets out of his car and he runs up to the house and his neighbor's like, Hey buddy. And he's like, yeah, whatever. And he goes in the house and they have this huge, ridiculous gun battle. I freaking love that. And then Angelina Jolie says, you know, are you okay, baby? And Brad Pitt pretends that he's not by doing what Tom did. I, and then they end up, of course, uh, kissing like man- maniacs. But, uh, so Battle of the Sexes, uh, uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie shooting at each other in this room. Dingus, who directed that? Uh, I believe that was Doug Wyman. Yeah. Right. You sure? I, uh, was, are you sure it wasn't Tony Scott? It might have been Tony Goldwyn. I don't. I don't know what that was. Did Tony Goldwyn direct something? <laughs> no. Dude, they wind up teaming up and killing the other dudes, Mr. and Mrs. Anderson, or whatever. Well, that's the detente of the sexes. Nah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was going to be mine for next week. Thanks. <laughs> 
All these movies uh, promise a winner, and then they never give you a winner. I'll give you a winner. Predator, no winners. Tom, do what? you have a winner for us at, for number two? This this is a battle of the sexes in which there is a winner because there's not in my number one, but my number two choice for battle of the sexes there's a definite winner. It's an obscure movie. Now here's where I'm going away from the stylistic stuff like Down with Love. These are both pretty dark movies. These next two, and they uh, really get into how painful these fundamental differences are between men and women. And, and one of these movies is called Praise. It's an Australian movie from a director who is really good at these sorts of themes. Um, he did something called We Don't Live Here Anymore, which I considered for my Battle of the Sexes choice. But I think a better pick is uh, a middle section of the actually the end of this movie, Praise, which is just about a relationship between these two 20-somethings in Australia who don't have a lot going on in their lives, and, and they connect. Uh, the notable thing about this movie is a fantastic actress named Sasha Horler, who went on to become an Australian TV actress. I don't know if folks down there know her well. I, I assume she's done well enough for herself. But in Praise, she is so freaking good. And there's a really painful, extended part of the movie near the end where this couple the dude wants to break up and the woman doesn't want to and they're at this this they're at loggerheads about this and it's this painful impasse you know they've moved in together they're in a relationship together they share some of the same friends he wants out she doesn't want out it's this whole just that 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 painful tension there where one person wants to go in one direction the other wants to go in the other direction and they're still just so connected and they have no easy way to move past that and ultimately, uh, there someone does prevail. Um, so to me, that's a classic instance of just the the, the painful end of a relationship and, and, and a, a sort of a, an aspect of the battle of the sexes. Uh, oh, like 500 Days of Summer. You know what? 500 Days of Summer is sort of like the glib version of praise. So absolutely, <laughs> Kelly Wand. Yeah. That is very well put, Tom. That is very well put. And I'm also envious that you have a list where uh, that your that your list can afford to drop. We don't live here anymore because as soon as you said that, I was like, oh man, I wish I'd done that with my list. Because that that yeah, like I I love that movie, and even you could argue. You know, there's a little bit of that in – it's based on a Somerset Mom novel, but Painted Veil, but certainly even in Stone maybe. Well, I don't know about Stone. But uh, John Curran, who directed all four of those movies that we've talked about, Praise, We Don't Live Here Anymore, uh, Stone, and Painted Veil. Like that's sort of his bread and butter, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So, All right, Kelly Wan, what is your number two choice for A Battle of the Sexes? I guess the woman's the bread in your analogy. <laughs> Hold on, let me play some Britney Spears there. All right. <sighs> All right, this is my boring one. Mm-hmm. I'll do a line from it. Oh, good. Uh, how do we know? Wait, that's not. <laughs> Take two, Kelly Wand. Oh. Uh, uh, what are my chances? Uh, that's something he typed. Never mind. Does that, does that tell you? Source code? Oh, there's no battles in that. That's that. I know. Well, that's why it would be a terrible pick. Uh, but there is there is typing in source code. <laughs> All right, here's a line. We have to go on. We can't go back. You're making it sound one. like a Terry Gilliam movie. Uh, I'm not a good actor <laughs> or writer or podcaster. Uh, okay, my choice is Alien One, A New Hope. Okay, that's my number two. Dingus goes. 
I think you should explain how it's a battle of the sexes. Well, because she's a woman, and it's a the only female aliens, the queen, right? Aren't they like bees? Well, there's no queen in the first alien, of course. Right, and because you and also look how it's looking at her, right? And the way it, the how it's looking at your uh, Veronica Cartwright, Portia Doubleday. <laughs> is that her name? Uh, Portia Doubleday is the chick for. Oh no, Portia De Rossi is the chick in uh, Arrested Development. It's Portia. I don't remember the name of the Veronica Cartwright lookalike. Because uh, the Alien movie, uh, it's like uh, the apotheosis of the Battle of the Sexes, because the Alien just wants to be left alone in the dark, and in, she's always wants it to come out and hang out with her. First of all, Kelly Wan, you've won this week. The secret word was apotheosis. You now get the prize, which is... Uh, a copy of 500 Days of Summer, signed yeah. by Zoe Deschanel. It's also, the dude's always leaving his socks around, like his shed skins that they keep finding. So that's like what a guy does. <laughs> uh, all right, so I could, it looks like... He's always like, you can't come back in the ship because you're, you're contaminated. You have to go wash up first. Like, that's the woman's position. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, Alien, number two, Battle of the Sexes. Uh, I can't imagine how you top that with your number one, but we'll find out. We'll, we'll be dumb. back around. Dingus, what is your number one choice for Battle of the Sexes in moviedom? Um, I'm not sure how to present this with you. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like what I'm hearing. Uh, <laughs> I think is I'll it, do a line afraid? from it. I might, I might do a line from it. Ah, Should good. I? Uh, you know, if I figured you were either going to do that or make us guess it based on the actors in it. Or you were going to do a word scramble with the title. I like going with a line from the movie best. Well, I was going to do that or say uh, I've got uh, 18 names and then you guys. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to do a line from it. Dingus, first of all, oh, 18 names. Oh, guys. <laughs> Go ahead, Dingus. All right. Here's the line. All right. If you can take back the sword in three moves, I'll go with you. Uh, sword in three moves. Sucker punch. Wait. Not, not sword in three moves. No, but Sucker Punch is a battle of the sexes. Ain't a bad choice. Return yes, it is. Uh, it's a terrible choice. <laughs> Dingus. If, uh, if it's a battle of the penises, it's a great choice. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait. Don't want to Kelly Pond. Uh, so you're making me think of the puzzle that the monkey was doing in Rise of the Apes, but that's not it. Uh, and there's not that's not that's more like a battle of the species. Uh, if you can take back the sword in three moves. So I don't. One of my runners-up was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but I don't think there's a sword that's being pat. Is that Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Oh yes, it is. There is absolutely a sword. Oh, because it's that it's that sword that the it has a name, like the Green Hornet, or there's there's a sword with a name in there, isn't there? The Green Destiny, yes. Is it really the Green Destiny? Yeah. Ah, I got the color right at least. Good, because that was one of my runners up. Good day. All right, Dingus, explain yourself, because that's a that's a crazy choice. <laughs> oh, I got to watch that again this weekend, and I haven't watched it, oh, freaking forever and. I thought of it late on because uh, I was just thinking of battles between men and women. It's really w- what I was thinking of. And this is such a great combination of what I'm going for and I think what Tom is going for, I think, because of, uh, because what, uh, because of what these characters are battling about and for. And, um, and that moment in particular when, uh, when, uh, Chow Yun Fat and, um, oh, 
crap, Jen. I can't. I, the character's name is Jen. Uh, are he's trying to get her to be his disciple, and they're fighting. Uh, and I just love the battles in this. And I can't believe I'm so freaking annoyed with the fact that I didn't choose any of these uh, fights for best fight because the fighting in this is so great. It's, I mean, yes, it's fantastical. The the stuff where uh, where they're on top of the bamboo shoots and oh, it's just so great. So beautiful, so understanding of sexuality um, that I couldn't. I, I after watching it, I was just so excited to choose that as my number one. Well, yeah, every fight is character development, and I think that's what any fight scene should strive for in a best case scenario. Uh, and Context, and- compassion. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say the dragon's the guy and the tiger's the girl. Okay, go. <laughs> uh, so. Um, uh, this actually, your criteria that they don't end up in bed together, it does fit half of the movie. Yep. It does fit half of the participants. So, uh, very, very good, Dingus. All right. Someone's always got to be on top. <laughs> Who's on top in this one, Kelly Wand? First base. Well, you, you make kind of a joke about that, but but mm. the moment when they're in the bamboo trees and uh, and they're falling, there's very much that sort of who's on top and that that sense you get of of that that feeling of of looking down on someone in that in that way. I don't know if I can describe it without being mm. vulgar, but mm. just that that way of uh, of looking down upon someone and the sexuality of that. So, yeah, the who's on top thing plays a part, even in the fights of this. I always try to have a pillow in between our faces. Is that just me? That's okay, because you always give me a straw. Hmm. We've come so far. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that I love about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is that for such a, uh, a movie set in a culturally specific time and place that many of us can't relate to, it really is universal. I, I mean, it, it so manages to transcend its its cultural specificity, I, I feel. Uh, and I, you know, I don't, I, that whole Hong Kong wire food stuff, like I, none of that stuff really means much to me. Um, but Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I think is a rare exception. Uh, I absolutely love that movie. Good pick, Dingus. Well played. Uh, all right, my number one, uh, this is a movie I've only seen this once. I need to see it again, and I'm dying to see it again. Uh, but it, it, this like praise highlights for me how a battle of the sexes is not a traditional fight. In that there's no good guys, there's no bad guys. It's no one's fault, really. <laughs> like a, a battle between the sexes, it's just how we're just wired in such weird ways, and we can't know certain things about each other, about the other gender, and we all have our, our, our fundamental mystery that, that people of the opposite gender just can't understand. Uh, there, there's a frustrating mystery to it all, and a movie that captures that so beautifully to me uh, is Blue Valentine. Uh, for how Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams, it's a very specific relationship, uh, but they really get to the heart of this idea how different people can have different perspectives and neither has to be wrong or incorrect, and it causes so much pain to both of them. Uh, and that, to me, is sort of the most painfully honest battle of the sexes I've seen in a movie. So there's my number one choice. Hmm. I want to see that movie. God, you so win. Kelly Wan, you haven't just, seen that? Just by mentioning uh, we don't live here anymore in Blue Valentine. I don't see movies with Valentine in the title. I thought you had seen that, Kelly Wan. So, uh, well, you know what? I 
I'm, you're in big trouble then, because I, uh, I, I would have uh, prevailed upon you to see it. I, I thought you saw that for our top ten movies, because Dingus uh, and I both ranked it very highly last year, and I, that I, made I, I feel just, like I'd seen it just yeah. listening. To <laughs> but I want to see it because I like her. I like her acting generally in most movies. Uh, Plus, I thought it was about a courtship, but then from the way you guys talk about it, it's more about a breakup. Well, it's both. I mean, it's a whole, you know, praise, by the way, is like that as well. It's about the entire arc of the relationship. Uh, the difference is praise is just sort of about young, aimless people. Blue Valentine is about people uh, who start out as young and, as, and, and aimless, but certain, uh, go through the course of many, many years together. Uh, and they're dealing with much longer term, more painful issues than they're dealing with in praise. See, again, yeah, no. the arcs, the arcs are just different lengths. Yeah. No winners. Well, different lengths, but also investment, Dingus. Just the whole idea, you know, Battle of the Sexes has many casualties beyond the two people. And that's, I, I think that's, you're, you're keenly aware of that in Blue Valentine because, you know, they, they have a child. I mean, there's, it, it sucks other people into it. I mean, it's painful all around. It's just, it's just losers all around uh, in, in difficult situations like that. Uh, that's, beautiful, that's beautifully said. I have to call you out. Uh, that's be- that casualties thing, that's beautifully said. Oh, call me out. Okay, I thought we were gonna have to fight. Like you're gonna call. No, no. I call. I used to call me out. I have to give you a shout out. It shout out. Okay. The, the call you out like. It. Uh, but uh, but calls that, out. The, that thing about casualties. Uh, I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, especially. I mean, I really like the idea of looking at Blue Valentine uh, against praise and and also against um, we don't live here anymore. I mean, I I love the idea of casualties and stakes and the length of the arc. That you're talking about, because that's a beautiful way of looking at Battle of the Sexes. It's nicely done. It's no alien, though. That's a good See? point. Because <laughs> I almost went with aliens, because there's a... Well, I don't want to... That's aliens is, is kind of a battle between the sexes, because it's, yeah. it's chick-on-chick action. So save that yeah. for another three-by-three. Three. Good point. Kelly Wand, what have you brought us to? We are now at your number one choice for a Battle of the Sexes. It's all leading up to this. What is it? See, verbal fights don't count. <laughs> that's what—that's my limitation. I should have mentioned only bamboo trees. But my number one. Here's your hint, spoiler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've referenced it in our one of our StarCraft pieces. Okay, lost interest yet? I'll just say. <laughs> uh, how many Friday the Thirteenth movies did you guys see? Did you get up to seven? Hmm. I'm pretty sure. Which one is seven? What? Give us a, one of the specific kills out of seven that would remind us. It's the one where somebody gets killed by X. Like generally, that's how you identify a Friday the Thirteenth movie, not by the actual number, which nobody remembers. Oh, because I thought because Jason X is the one in space, and X is space. Right. Like somebody in that one doesn't somebody get dunked in uh, like space acid or something? I haven't seen that one. Is that no. what happens? I think that's how most people refer to it. Yeah. How does he get on the ship from the fucking lakes? My question. Uh, I think they it. clone him. Ah, idiots. Ah, Jurassic Park all over again. Life finds, versus Dino. Yeah. Life finds a way, Kelly Wand. All right, so tell us, your number one then is Friday the 13th, part seven? Yeah, part seven, the new blood, because it's got, um, okay, it's Jason, kind of the apotheosis of males. You, can't, you can only use apotheosis once in a podcast, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. And uh, the... 
girl. The in this corner we have the girl character. I believe her name is. Um, and she's the apotheosis because she's a girl, <laughs> and she's telekinetic. So it's like unkillable dude versus telekinetic woman. So, he's, so she's using like her mind powers, and he's using his great strength and unkillability. So she wins. Although she could have just blown up his head, but she spends 20 minutes like shooting spikes and shit through him. And she wins. What, what? Isn't it a common thread amongst most slasher movies that it comes down to the slasher and the heroine? Yeah, but they don't have – it's usually not as balanced a match. Oh, I see. So this is more of a battle and less of a overrun. Yeah. Okay. All right. This time he's the gushy one. Uh, and now, what's the famous kill in, in part seven? Give me one of the one of the notable kills where I might remember which one it is. Because telling uh, me it's subtitled "A New Blood," I don't that does nothing for me. What's a way that somebody gets killed in part seven? He stabs someone with a machete, <laughs> but he also he also he stabs him through a tree too. Okay, see that's a good. I don't remember that, but that's a good way to say it. Somebody stabbed through a tree with a machete. So and he also uses an axe. Go on. How does he do it? In what unique way? Okay, wait, wait. He also shoves a party horn into a woman's eye. So that's actually a sex battle, too. Party Uh, horn. What's that represent, Mr. Jung? That represents celebration. That represents New Year's, the the march of time. Hmm. See, because you thought I was going to say it represents a penis. That's such a Sagittarius thing to say. Uh, I want to tell you guys my Friday the 13th story. I actually roomed with, in graduate school, my roommate was the guy who, in Friday the 13th 3D, he's That's walking, a good one. Yeah, he's this guy who's walking on his hands. He plays like the acrobat, and he's walking on his hands upside down, and he walks into a room, and there's Jason with a machete who brings it down between his legs, you know, while he's upside down, and splits him from, like, crotch to sternum. You know, Battle of the sexes. So there you go. That guy, his name was Jeff. I roomed with him in graduate school. And I remember he used to get, like, Friday the 13th, part three, I guess, uh, residuals checks. So Was that go. why his voice was so high? Because of his wound? It was actually, they faked it. Hmm. You see. Special effects, Kelly Wand. Was he proud of that? Was that, like, his biggest role? No, he had since given up on Hollywood and acting and stuff and actually traveled to India and studied for a while, and he was at the Divinity School with me. You know, he's a Divinity School student, and he had forsaken all of this old uh, superficial Hollywood stuff. And what actually broke him was he was up for the – you know what? I hope it's okay to say that. Jeff, if you're listening, I apologize if I'm outing you. I don't know if this is personal stuff. But what broke him from Hollywood and finally got him to give up was he was up for the role of the sidekick in the He-Man Masters of the Universe movie. I don't know. Was that Dolph Lundgren? I forget who actually played He-Man. But they made a – okay, so they made a movie, and he – he was up for the role. I guess He-Man has some kid sidekick. He was what? up for the role of the sidekick, and he didn't get the part, and so he he gave up on on acting. <laughs> so, so there you go. Uh, hey, uh, sidekick, and it wasn't Orko. And it wasn't. I'm not going to know what you're saying. I know that there's a skeleton guy. Skeletor's the bad Skeletor, guy. Skeletor. Yeah. He-Man is the hero, and doesn't he have some kid sidekick? I don't. This. I'm just going on what Jeff told me. I don't know. Cringer stuff. Cringer. Cringer. I think you're making this up. The Skeletor's compadres are Beast Man and Merman. That can't be right. Merman. No, no. He was the sidekick for He-Man, not for the. He would have been like the. 
You know, I'm just trying to picture the class picture in my head so I can figure out which one the sidekick is from the the question mark above the grayed out portrait. That's how I remember things. Don't you? Uh, Smart grayed out portrait. (laughs) I don't don't have any sort of a family tree or whatever for He-Man. I I have no space in my brain where that exists, I'm afraid. Uh. (laughs) All right, so uh, Friday the 13th. Sorry. So Friday the 13th, Part 7, your number one choice for Battle of Sexes. Is that what inspired this topic, Kelly Wand? Yeah, it inspired 9 out of 10 topics I've ever come up with. (laughs) All right, let's do runners-up. What do you guys got? Nothing. Come on. Kelly Wand, I'm surprised you don't have. So this is, I I kept finding when I would come up with Battles of the Sexes, I would come up with directors who had done other kind of Battles of the Sexes movies. So one of them that I thought about, but this isn't so much a Battle of the Sexes as just a battle movie, is Your Friends and Neighbors, which I love that movie, and it's so harsh about male-female relationships, but it's just so harsh anyway. You know, it's classic Neil LeBute. And he did a, a more classic Battle of the Sexes movie called The Shape of Things, which I kind of like. Um, but I think the one that he's most infamous for is the remake of Wicker Man. <laughs> I know. Where instead of being a battle between Christians and pagans, he's like, what if it's Nicolas Cage versus a bunch of chicks? <sighs> I'm not advocating it. I'm no. I am in no way speaking in any approving terms of it. But PG-13. <laughs> break his leg is off screen. Fuck that movie. That's actually not true. It's on screen that they break his legs and put bees on his face and have his own daughter burn him to death. I don't know how that's PG-13. Yeah, well, neither did the MPA. <laughs> All right. Uh, what what are the, what runners up do y'all got? Dingus, what do you got? I know you must have a few. Uh, the, the two uh, battle ones that I had uh, are uh, Wolverine versus uh, Fingernail Girl. Oh, well, that's Kelly Who, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Kelly he wins that I, one. Yeah, Kelly Wand and I both approved Dingus. Although I've never, <laughs> I've never seen that movie, but now I'm going to. <laughs> and and then uh, Eowyn fighting the Witch King. Mm. He, but Dingus, that's not in the books. Actually, you know what? Uh, yeah, it's, it is. Oh, Sadly, it is, yeah. Is Legolas a woman, though? So Legolas versus Gimli on the score? Oh, you know what? Because that whole, I can't be, I can be killed by, no, no, wait. I thought, you know what? I thought the books were a hobbit kills him instead of a woman. Like, no, no, Mary helps. Mary bends over and then she trips him over Mary's back or something. So that is right. the right. <laughs> okay. I think that lines but, in. But the, the, the disguise is different because the, the reveal is different, I should say. Because uh, in, in the movie, I mean, you know it's a woman and they're not going to try to pretend it's not a woman. But in the book, I think he, he pretends it's somebody uh-huh. else for the whole time. What's Eowyn's name? Like Dark Helm? Doesn't she have a fake name? <laughs> is that I what think she uses on the internet? It's Only Mary knows. What is it? Death strike. strike. Oh, Dingus, you're so wrong. First of all, but good, good call, Dingus. Dingus is a nerd. Well, yeah, but what you, have you guys call? seen or heard of a movie called Doghouse? Uh, I think I'm getting the title right. There's a horror movie. It, it's it's almost literal with this battle of the sexes, where a bunch of dudes. I think it's actually, you know what, it's one of their, it's, what do you call it? It's not a bachelor party. Yeah, guys have a bachelor party. It's a bunch of dudes on a bachelor party, and they drive to some, 
I'm a little shaky on this, like an English village, and the village has been taken over by evil zombie vampire women. And it's just dudes fighting these these crazy demon chicks. You guys haven't seen this doghouse? It's terrible. Sounds though. awesome. What? No, no, it's awful. It's terrible. PG-13? It's, no, no, no. It's very R. It's like some crappy indie British horror film. Uh, Stephen, I can't think of the guy's name. There's a great actor from... Uh, Stephen Root. A called, no, a movie called This Is England. I... I'm, I'm so incomplete with names tonight. So there's a great actor named Stephen something in a, a fantastic movie called This Is England, and I watched Doghouse because this guy was in from This Is England, was in Doghouse. And I'm like, oh, I love this actor. Obviously, he's only going to be in good things. Oh, look, he's in a horror movie called Doghouse. I'm going to watch this. And I was uh, bitterly disappointed. So, hmm. uh, What do you guys think of – it's not so much a battle as a – uh, maneuvering of the sexes. This idea of Winter's Bone being a movie about women navigating carefully through a society sort of run by men. That's not really a battle of the sexes, though. No, but I like what you're going for. That's mm-hmm. okay. All right, other runners up. Um, Who in? So I've never seen the Stepford Wives, but isn't it about like dudes get their wives replaced by robots? What's going on? Yeah. So what's going yeah. on there? What, so who's doing that? Is this like dudes are like, you know what? Women need to be obedient. We're just going to put robots in their place. Is that what's going on in that movie? In the remake, it's uh, other women or something. Women are replacing women with robots? Like they're voluntarily doing this? or they're... Women are doing it. Dingus, you saw the remake with Nicole Kidman. <laughs> Isn't she married to Matthew Broderick and then... But the guy making him is a woman or a robot. The woman made the guy robot, and he made the rest of the robots. Or am I thinking Bewitched? I have no sure idea. Is, sure is quiet, since I mentioned... Well, I was wondering if Stepford Wives was that. I don't know. I've never seen it. And Kelly Wand, you don't remember it well enough. It's not you. a battle, because she... Rosemary's Baby is more of a battle. Well, the only thing I remember about that is all the things William Goldman wrote about making it, about the casting and everything. So, William Goldman uh, made Stepford Wives? He wrote it, yeah. He, he it was oh, his what? script, and then they. Ira Levin wrote the book. Yeah, but William didn't he, he did. No way. And what, what were you saying, Dingus? So he wasn't happy with the movie. Well, it was just uh, the, his idea was that um, these women were just the the essence of of the ideal of beautiful, unbelievably beautiful, like Playboy models type of women, and then the director who got. Signed on to it, said, um, I, I tell you, this is who we're going to cast. And it was his wife, who was sort of this matronly-looking <laughs> woman. And then William Goldman realized, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. that's where we're going. Okay, never mind. I mean, that's, that was kind of his, his his realization that, oh, Hollywood doesn't understand at all what this is about. And it's just going to get cast as this way. And instead, it's going to be like... Uh, you know, Little House on the Prairie women instead of, like, beautiful Playboy models women. So, Dingus, in the space of, that was beautiful, because in the space of maybe two minutes, you made me really want to see Stepford Wives and then not want to see it at all. See? That's what I do. (laughs) Uh, All right, so uh, any other runners-up? No? Uh, No I thought of Thelma and Louise for a minute, but then... That's not winning. Charlie Sheen winning. You didn't say victories. You said battles. Well, that's that's true. I don't know if it, it, the battle would have been driving the other direction than the one they drive it. 
that's that's losing that's leaving the battle and there's not going to be a battle that's so kelly one for you it all comes down me. to to whether or not the car was in reverse explodes right yeah okay. which direction the car is going if you're holding hands you're not battling are you no <laughs> uh, all right so, yeah. so uh dingus what are we doing next week for our three by three all right for next week it's your favorite instances of pov Okay. Hmm. I'm. I'm. I guess some things. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Kelly Wand, any questions? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> okay. Good. That's it. Uh, Dingus, why don't you tell our listeners, just in case? I mean, it's kind of movie talk. What does POV stand for? And explain to us a little bit about what you mean by that. All right. There are certain moments uh, in a movie where all of a sudden the um, the shot shifts to a point of view from the main character or from a specific character. And I watched a couple movies this week in preparation for the movie that we watched this week, uh, where there are just excellent, excellent uh, moments where you see where the director has decided we're going to shift to the point of view of the main character. And so these are your favorite instances where that happens, where oh. the... I'm sorry, go ahead, Dingus. What were you going to say, Tom? Well, now you've got me wondering, because I think of POV as a specific camera shot. Are you talking about on a larger, more narrative scale? No, no, no. I'm talking okay. about a specific uh, camera shot, okay. where, okay. It's, where it's very clearly through the eyes of that person. So you don't mean, like, for instance, Psycho, where it starts with following Janet Lee and then something happens in the movies about someone else. You're not talking about narrative point of view. You do specifically mean the camera shot seen from the eyes of a character in the movie. Absolutely. That's why I said POV. It's, it's definitely, if you were looking at us as a script, you would see POV. You would see that. And, and when we're watching the movie, it's very clear that we shifted to a camera shot from, like, as if it were through their eyes, not now, narrative. Now, will you be taking King of the Hill off the list now that you have made me want to, to choose it? <laughs> Unfortunately, that was my favorite one, and now I have to. But well, it's your fault because you were like, I watched movies in preparation for what we saw this week, and so I immediately think King of the Hill, and I think of that shot. So just, you know what, Dingus, just to avoid us both mentioning the same movie, let's do that. <laughs> let's take off King of the Hill. <laughs> All right, that's good. That, that makes my uh, job a little bit harder, but I think you're right to do so. <laughs> Uh, and please do see that movie because there's an excellent instance, at least one excellent instance. And not only that, so so here's just something that we'll talk about it later. But it's so gratuitous when a movie, if a movie's going to do something so dramatic, because movies are inherently third person. If a movie ever is going to make this dramatic shift to first person, by golly, it better have a reason. And King of the Hill is just such a great example of that. So, you know, I've said too much. This is stuff we'll talk about more next week. Kelly Wan, now that we have expounded a bit on it, do you have any questions? <laughs> Uh, is there a shot from the point of view of the mouth of the third person in the human centipede chain? <laughs> All right. Oh, well done. Well done. Uh, let, let's remember. see, uh, let's see Contagion next week. What do you guys think? Oh. From the director of Bubble. Ooh, I like what? that. Because you, you brought up somebody named Steven, and I thought, is he going to talk about that? Uh, is that, uh, Soderbergh? Mr. Soderbergh to some of us, uh, Stephen to others, the director of Bubble to yet others. Uh, so Contagion, by the way, I'm watching trailers, uh, not watching trailers, I'm closing my eyes when trailers come up. And at one point I saw a trailer for some movie called Haywire, which looks like another chick assassin movie like Columbiana or whatever. And it's another Steven Soderbergh movie. Like he's just, hmm. is he just cranking them out? What's, I guess he, that's kind of his M.O., isn't it? Uh, well, he's about to retire and become a painter, so he's got to get stuff out. 
Wait, are you joking? Right. What's that all about? What are you talking about, Dingus? Uh, he claimed he was he was retiring, and then he claimed I'm not really retiring. I'm becoming a painter. So it's I don't know if it's his like I'm effing with Hollywood thing, but but he's definitely up to something. And this is so. This is after like I guess Haywire is in the can. Uh, so Haywire is his last movie before he retires to a life of painting. Apparently. Wow. All right. Uh, Remember when Liam Neeson quit film for like a few months after Phantom Menace? He was like, Ugh. man, that made me want to quit film. I Remember thought Jedi Day Knight uh, became a shoemaker. Yeah, yeah. cobbler's assistant. See, I don't know that he quit so much as he's just doing that. Like that's his main job, and he makes movies on the side. Daniel Day Lewis is a shoemaker. Yeah. He quit in the middle of a play on stage because his dad died. I think. Wait a minute, what? Like, he's in the middle, the play is actually going, and he's on stage, and he's like, I'm quitting? Yeah. Man, I would. how awesome would that have been to be there for that? I would love to say, Daniel Day-Lewis, I'll watch him do anything. I would love to watch him quit a play. How awesome would that be? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, you know, Tom, I, I, I hate to do this, cause you me- but you mentioned trailers, so I, I feel like I get to bring this up. Sure, yeah, let's talk trailers, yeah. I had no idea that the, the movie Drive even existed. Uh, and then it started, and I plugged my ears during most of it, and then I found out who directed it. And I thought, well, that's weird. I, what's he doing? And then the the very large movie theater I go to in, in Los Angeles has this huge wall of movie posters that they put up. And every now and then, they will replace every one of those movie posters. It's a, it's a backlit thing with, with all one movie, and that's all the movie Drive this week. And I had no idea that Drive was that big of a movie. Now tell us who's directing it. Nicholas Winding Refn. I, and, I mean, and why should we care about who this fella is? Uh, because of Valhalla Rising. <laughs> Valhalla Rising, the Punisher. Uh, he's a he's Stop a. Stop calling it that. Oh jeez, and you know what? I don't. I totally don't do that as a joke. I swear to baby Jesus that that is a genuine mistake. I continue to make uh, the Pusher movies. He's done these three movies called the Pusher. God, why do I do that? Anyway, he's this amazing, amazing, amazing Danish director. Uh, and you know what? Man, Denmark, you guys are just awesome. Whatever's in the water in Denmark, uh, I'm so happy for it. And Nicholas Winding Refn is, is one of the reasons. He's a cherry Danish director. Oh, Kelly Wand, what are we going to do with you? Oh. Mm. Uh, Kelly Wand, are you psyched for Drive? Uh, I don't see movies with <laughs> verbs in the name. <laughs> Fair it kind of cuts down on things. Way to get things <laughs> off my list. So you will see the help then? Yeah. <laughs> Meets all my criteria. It's the only movie. Uh, do we know when Drive starts? So it's impending. If the ArcLight is replacing that big wall with a, a Drive movie poster, it's got to be here. It's got to be coming down the pike, right, Dingus? It's in like two weeks, I think. Oh, so sweet. Contagion and then Drive. I would be so happy if that's the case. Yeah, me too. Mm. Uh, all right. Uh, so, yeah. So join us for a Drive podcast as soon as it opens, because whatever's opening opposite Drive, you know what? I couldn't care less. That's that's mm. what I'm super psyched about. Uh, I think it's ball. Paranormal Activity 3. <laughs> that's the uh-huh. only way we're going to dodge that bullet, by the way. Oh, no. Oh, no. Because <laughs> oh, that was before. That was uh, one of the previews of Oscar. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Fuck you. You got to say it a third time, Kelly Wand. 
No, I'll get scared. That's right, yeah. And some CG will appear behind me. So the funny thing about Paranormal Activity 3 is horror movies, and we talked briefly about this, they're kind of on the outs right now. I mean, they're all opening to these sort of weak, soft $8 million opening weekends, and then they're just trailing off quickly. Like, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, $8 million weekend, and it plummeted like like 40% for its second weekend. The people behind Paranormal Activity, I imagine, are are probably petrified. Uh, and it's... Uh, no. <laughs> They're just scared. Okay, scared. They should be. Uh, all right, so uh, next week we'll do Contagion. Very soon we'll do Drive. Uh, come October, Paranormal Activity 3. I can't wait. I don't know about you guys. Um, uh, I can wait. All right, well, you're going to have to because it doesn't open until October. So, mm. uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian Mirosny. Miro- Christian Mirosny, I think. It's Christian Morosky. Mm, I don't think so. And also, uh, Kelly Wand. If it had been a horror movie about an actual catfish, then Paranormal Activity 3, yay. La, 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 la. We were at a party. Daniel Day-Lewis horror movie, My Left Found Footage.